Welcome back, my friends, to the 12th episode of the Wolf's Gaming Podcast. I am still your host, Baden Ronnie, and this week I have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We're going to be talking about the best games of 2021 so far, and why it's a weaker year than I was hoping. We're going to talk a little bit about Mario Super Rush Golf, and then we have a whole bunch of news to chat about, such as Dead Space being resurrected by EA. Before we jump into all that, you can of course check out my full written work over at wolfsgamingblog.com. I would very much appreciate it if you headed over there. And of course, you can continue to support me if you like by hitting the support the site button on the website, where you can opt to chuck some pennies my way. I hope you've all been keeping well the past week or two. Things have been uh, a bit more manic up here because my local town, uh, which has been a very safe space throughout all this pandemic, it's had very low cases. Well, it's suddenly just exploded with COVID cases. That appears to be due to all the local pubs hosting uh, the football matches on the TV and people crowding into the pubs. Pretty much every case right now has been linked back to the pubs. And then, of course, they've then gone out to restaurants and stuff like that and just put bloody COVID everywhere. So I think there's something in the region of like five, six, seven shops all shot in my local little town. Uh, so I'm basically just hiding again, because uh, in case you didn't know, I have cystic fibrosis, so I take the whole COVID thing pretty seriously, although I do have both my jabs, so look at me go. And apart from that, my nieces have been here pretty much every weekend at the moment, causing bloody mayhem, but I have been fu- having a lot of fun with them playing uh, Mario Golf at the moment with them, stuff like that. Super Smash Bros. as well, we've just gotten into this. Uh, <laughs> my My seven-year-old niece is addicted to smash bros ultimate now um i i wish i could show you a video of her right when she's playing this game with me she sort of sits in a chair she throws her legs up in the air and she just hammers the attack button and then starts kicking the air like crazy and bouncing up and down in her chair and giggling and keckling it's hilarious to watch it really is uh which i'm totally going to use as the excuse as to why i keep losing matches against her it's because she's just hilarious to watch all right so Let's dive into things. The first thing to jump into is the best games of 2021 so far. Now, I've been doing this every year for the past couple of years. About halfway through the year, I stop. I take a look. What's the best games we've had? Uh, and I thought before I put out the written article that I would just uh, do this more off the cuff version. So uh, like I normally do, I went back through all the games I reviewed this year to have a look and see, right? Just a, a refresher on what I've really enjoyed. Uh, In total so far this year, I've reviewed 21 games, which I think is pretty good considering it's just me. But going back over those games, I started to realize there is not a lot out this year. There hasn't been a lot out this year that's really amazed me or caught my attention. I think the, uh, the cause of this is pretty obvious. It's the pandemic. It's hit everything hard. And video game development certainly hasn't gotten away from that. We've seen a lot of titles delayed. I'm sure there's a lot of games behind the scenes that were never even announced with a release date. They've probably been delayed too. Yeah, it's not been great. Uh, Looking through the list, I only really grabbed four games there that I thought I could put on a list like this. The rest were just um, okay to good. Uh, I apologize, by the way, if you can hear any background noise there. Uh, There's someone grinding not far away from here, so it's a bit of a racket, and I don't know if the mic's going to pick that up or not. Anyway, to carry on with what I was saying. So yeah, just four games. That was it. So we're going to talk about them. They'll be pretty obvious. I've reviewed them all, obviously. So you know my general thoughts on them. But we're just going to go back through them. Uh, Game number one, without a shadow of a doubt for me, is Hitman 3. 
I worry that because it was released so early in the year, Hitman 3 might get forgotten about by the time 2021 wraps up and people are making their best games of the year list. But I can confidently say Hitman 3 will be on that list for me at the end of this year. This is such a hilariously good, fun game. I mean, where else can I dress up as a mascot and drown people in a toilet, right? I mean, when I last tried that, I got thrown out of the golf club. So, you know, this is the best place I can do it. Now, you could absolutely criticize Hitman 3 for essentially just being Hitman 2. I think that's a perfectly valid criticism. And if you didn't buy Hitman 3 because of that, I think that's completely fair. Uh, as a sequel, it doesn't do a lot new. It doesn't add much mechanically. I mean, about as much as it adds is a, a phone that lets you remotely hack some windows, which is hardly something to yell from the rooftops about, is it? But I'll be quite honest with you. What I wanted was just more Hitman 2. And that's exactly what Hitman 3 delivers. It's Hitman 2, just more levels, more locations, more chances for beautiful murder. <clears throat> it has some stunning levels, of course, as well. We have the massive Dubai skyscraper is really cool. Uh, Dartmoor Manor is fantastic. Yes, it doesn't have maybe as much replay value as other Hitman levels. But when you first don that detective costume and you solve the murder, it's one of the coolest things Agent 47 has ever done, I think. And going through Dartmoor Manor for the first time is one of the coolest gaming-related memories I have of the recent couple of years. Plus, there's other opportunities for some cool kills in there after you've done the initial investigation. Hitting an old lady with a shovel <laughs> so she lands in an open grave. That's brilliant. I had great fun with that. I love sneaking up onto the top of the building as well with a sniper rifle and shooting her into it. I love disguising myself as a priest. I loved the electrocution kill on that level. <laughs> I loved honestly just exploring the place because I liked the idea that this old manor had uh, secret areas all over the place as well to discover. It's really just a fantastic little level. But of course I had other great levels as well. The underground club in Germany was fantastic and I like the idea of having multiple targets to take out. There's again some really cool kills in there if you went looking for them. And then there's the fact you can just pile all of Hitman 2 and Hitman one into the game into one massive package of death and mayhem i can honestly just fire this game up anytime and have a blast with it and i think that io interactive really wrapped up their so-called world of assassination trilogy in a spectacular way i can't wait for when they do eventually return to hitman and they will they're not just going to completely abandon it i just can't wait for that i think it's gonna be fantastic if they continue to build off the uh the platform they have here all right next up this one's an obvious one it's Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. Hitman 3, for me personally, ranks above it, just on a personal level. But uh, Rift Apart is a stunning game from Insomniac. It's impossible to describe game feel, right? What a game feels like to play. You can try your best. But some games you just can't describe. You have to put the controller in someone's hands and let them feel it. I think Rift Apart is one of those. Insomniac have proven... They are some of the best when it comes to crafting controls that feel tight, responsive, satisfying to use. We've seen it in their Spider-Man games. We're seeing it again in Rift Apart. Everything is so responsive. Everything feels so good. The dodge feels great. The jumping feels great. The guns feel great. The combat feels great. It just feels good to play. And of course, you know, you throw in the absolutely jaw-dropping visuals into that. I said in my review that the vistas they have managed to make here have such incredible depth to them. 
It's almost like looking at a 3D image popping out of the TV without needing 3D glasses. It's as close as I've probably seen on a flat screen. It's amazing. And of course, the sharpness of the image, the incredible detail in there. I mean, just look at Ratchet and Clank's fur. It's fucking mind-blowing that they managed to do this. It looks extraordinary. And if this is what we can expect from PlayStation 5 exclusive games, then hot damn are we in for a good time. But it doesn't just look good, you know. Again, it plays great. It has incredibly likable characters. And it has a solid, if unspectacular, story. You know, this is just a game that embodies fun. Uh, I've not quite wrapped up the Platinum on it yet. I'm planning on doing that soon. I only have one trophy to get, so I just need to fire up and get that done. But I have no doubt this is going to be one of my top games at the end of the year. And uh, Insomniac continue to show they are possibly Sony's best studio right now. All right, next up, it's the second PlayStation 5 exclusive on this list. It's Returnal from Housemark Games. Housemark, a few years ago, put out a blog post saying that arcade games are dead. They said that they weren't going to be making arcade games anymore because people just weren't buying them. And so they were moving on to a new project. That was 2017. Four years later, they launched Returnal for the PlayStation 5. And it turns out they were lying. (laughs) Not in any malicious way, but arcade games aren't dead. They just needed to evolve. And that's what Returnal is. Returnal is an arcade game in a triple A disguise. And it's most notable when you play any of the boss fights. There's just waves of projectiles coming at your face. And you're dodging between them. You're jumping between them. You're moving between them. You're looking for all the gaps. You're fucking forgetting there's one over there. And ah, shit, there was like half your health. It's arcade gaming, just in a triple A disguise. It's fantastic fun. It's got a really cool world and interesting, albeit I think muddled and... I don't want to say weak story. I just think the end of the story didn't quite do it for me. But it's still an intriguing world and an intriguing story that draws you in. And just like an arcade game, when you die, you go right back to the beginning again. There are things I don't think it does great. I don't think the roguelike elements are as good as some other games out there. (coughs) Hades. But it is filled with very interesting ideas and uh, little gameplay designs that I quite like. I think if Housemark continue to do this, if they keep bringing arcade games to the AAA space like they did with Returnal, they could become one of the best studios around for the PlayStation 5. And I can't wait to see what the next game is. All right, let's wrap up this list with the last game. It's the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Honestly, I'm not sure if this is a compliment to how amazing Mass Effect still is that it can make a list in 2021, Or if it's an insult to 2021 that a remake of a very old game is on the best games of 2021 so far. I think it's pretty much both, really, isn't it? Uh, In an ideal world, a remake probably wouldn't make the list, yet here we are. That isn't to diminish the Legendary Edition, though, because EA and Bioware have both redeemed themselves a little bit here with this Legendary Edition. This is a really, really strong package of the original Mass Effect trilogy, which are some of my favourite games of all time. Yes, even Mass Effect 3. The first game has gotten the most work done to it, and you can really tell. It doesn't really bring it up to a modern standard in terms of how it plays and feels, but it does good enough that you're not constantly feeling like you're being dragged down by really clunky mechanics. And of course, it has that amazing Mass Effect storyline. It's still one of the coolest sci-fi worlds ever created. 
I'm a huge fan of science fiction TV shows and movies. And when Mass Effect first came out, it was a chance for me to play a sci-fi epic. And uh, I still get that feeling all these years later, to be honest. As much as the combat doesn't really excite me anymore, or even the RPG mechanics, when it comes to the characters and the storyline, I am totally there. Garrus remains fucking awesome. Rex is still a beast. Ashley is still there, along with Caden. <laughs> and of course, the love of my life, Tally, is amazing as she always was, as beautiful as she always was, as sexy as she always was, as smart as she always was, as innocent, naive, and funny as she always was. And I still cannot play any of these games, choosing a different romance option without feeling like I'm cheating on her. And then, of course, there's Mass Effect 2, which just takes Mass Effect and improves on it pretty much everywhere. The combat's better, the gameplay's better, the RPG mechanics are great. The uh, Suicide Mission story is amazing. And, of course, we have even more awesome characters mixing with our original cast. You've got newbies coming along, like Grunt. You've got Thane. And then you mix in with your old cast of characters, and Garrus is still there being awesome. Ah, Mass Effect 2 is one of my favorite games of all time. It's right up there. I uh, I think I've got something like uh, 150 hours clocked in the original Mass Effect 2 or something in that region. It was an insane amount of times I played through that game. You know, I played through multiple times to find out what would happen if this person died or you didn't do this loyalty mission or you made this choice. Ah, great fun. As for Mass Effect 3, I can enjoy it so much more now than I did originally. Now that I know the ending isn't really what I wanted from the series. Now that I know that every little choice doesn't really make a difference at the end, I can appreciate it more for what it is. You know, I don't get to the end and feel disappointed. I know it's coming now, and so I can just enjoy the rest of the game. And I think when you can play the whole trilogy in quick succession, well, that's that's a lot of time, but when you can play them all in quick succession, you get a better idea of what the story was aiming for at times. It feels a bit more cohesive like that. And of course, the gameplay is so much better in Mass Effect 3 by that point. Yeah, I can just, I can enjoy it a lot more than I used to. Uh, I have more of an appreciation for it now than I did before. But overall, this Legendary Edition package is fantastic. Anyway, that will wrap up my best games of 2021 so far. Just four games. Hopefully the end of the year is a little bit better for us all. All right, the next game to talk about that I've been playing is, of course, Mario Golf Super Rush for the Nintendo Switch. I am planning on doing a full review of this, so these are just my initial thoughts. Uh, I've played through really good chunk of the main single player adventure mode as uh, a multiplayer stuff local multiplayer stuff i have messed around with the uh the regular controls and the motion controls so uh let me start with saying the core golfing mechanics are a lot of fun bearing in mind i don't know jack shit about golf the most i know about golf came from the adam sandler classic happy gilmore uh so what i know about golf is that you probably shouldn't let a guy who tried to stab someone with an ice skate play it. But failing that, you should get golf lessons from a black guy missing a hand who claims everything is all in the hips. All in the hips. All in the hips. Anyway. <laughs> uh, Jesus, right, back on topic, back on topic. Uh, I'm not comparing this to the old golf games. The only thing I do know about the old ones is that fans are a little bit unhappy about how they've changed the way you take a shot. 
So apparently it used to be that you would uh, click the button to set your power and you would also click the button again to set your accuracy. Uh, so Mario Golf changes that. So what you do is you set power and then your accuracy is determined by your power. If you go to the very top of the power bar, there's little red lines that veer off and this shows that the ball will randomly go off course or could randomly go off course. This varies from character to character. So now it's entirely random. You don't get much say in terms of accuracy. And the only thing you can do is curve the shot and stuff like that. But for me personally, having not played the previous games, I'm really enjoying the basic core golf. And I really like some of the modes they've added. The uh, the titular Super Rush mode is where you're playing against multiple people all at the same time. You take a shot and then you all have to run to where the ball landed. You can use special dashes and stuff to barge people out of the way. You can use special shots to like blast their ball off the field and turn the land to ice and stuff like that. It's quite cool. So yeah, I, I like the core mechanics. I think you can have a lot of fun with them. It's outside of that that things get bad. The single player is really sparse. It's just basically these little hubs with nothing in them. You take part in a couple of tournaments, you win and you move to the next course, you repeat it. There's no point in talking to like the side characters. You can buy a few clubs and bits of gear, but that's it. Uh, there's just there's almost no reason for these little hubs to exist. Because there's nothing in them. There's no reason to be there or spend time in them. Things only start to get a bit more interesting later on when you get a couple of boss fights and stuff. Yeah, you heard me right, boss fights in a golf game. But you get a couple of boss fights and you get a bit of a, an actual storyline and then things get a tad more interesting. Not a lot, but a tad. But uh, yeah, the single player campaign, it's pretty forgettable. It's pretty dull. You'll blast through it in a few hours. It's just a lot of lack of creativity or of anything interest. And speaking of lack of creativity, there's, a, I believe, it's seven golf courses. Uh, they all have like 18, 19 holes or something like that per course. So I'm not going to necessarily have a go at the amount of content. What I don't like is the lack of creativity in those courses. You have the entirety of Mario at your disposable, and yet most of these golf courses just look like golf courses. They're either like green or maybe they're sandy desert courses. And that's it. It's not until like a couple later courses that you get a few interesting elements like piranha plants. But even then, the piranha plants aren't like moving and grabbing balls or something. They're just mostly static obstacles. There's a jump button. Why aren't we jumping over blocks and stuff as well? Uh, where are the different enemies? Where are the cool scenery? Like, why is this just a flat green golf course? You know, this is Mario. You could have so many cool visuals going on. There's just a real lack of creativity in the course design, visually at least. And in terms of mechanically, I think you could do so much more with Mario Golf. And there's a lack of creativity in the characters too. There's a roster of, I think it's 16 characters, including, you know, your obvious ones, Mario, Luigi, Donkey Kong, Peach, etc., etc. They each have their own special power, right? And their special shot. So Luigi, for example, is one of the most unique ones. He can freeze the ground where his ball lands, turning it into ice. That's really cool. But the vast majority of the rest of the characters are all featuring basically the same power of blast balls away wherever it lands. That's it. That's what they do, with maybe a slight variation. So again, it's just a real lack of creativity in what these characters can do, considering the extensive Mario history. And then I think it just lacks in other areas... Uh, you know, music's pretty dull. The visuals are okay, but nothing great. 
the only good news is there is more content promised down the line, such as a new course coming. They showed off New Donk City, and you're seen like bouncing your ball off buildings and stuff like that. That, to me, is what this main game should have been. Like, that's the kind of design I'd be looking for in Mario Golf. Because if I wanted to just play regular golf, there's a whole bunch of other golf games out there. I want to play this because it's Mario Golf. It's a bit like, you know, it should be a bit like playing wacky mini golf just on a big scale. You know, entire courses should be like that with opportunities for cool shots and awesome skill shots where you can, you know, just lob a ball straight through a tiny gap and stuff like that. But there's nothing like that in the game here. And it makes it a lot less fun to play than it should be. This promise of content coming in the future is nice, but it doesn't help the first impressions of people who pick up the game on launch and look at it and go, well, is that all? Like, great, you got more courses coming, but am I even still going to be interested in playing this by then? Hell, there's a good chance, me personally, I might have sold the game by then because I don't think there's going to be much to keep me coming back. This seems to have been a bit of a trend with Nintendo lately over the past few years with games launching, I don't know if I would say incomplete, but just lacking a lot of content. Obvious ones with standing uh, Mario Odyssey, Breath of the Wild, they're huge games, obviously, but sports games in particular, like Mario Aces Tennis, was apparently really lacking content as well. Uh, I think the only good thing here is if you pick up Mario Golf down the line, you're probably going to get a much more feature-rich complete feeling game than what I've been playing right now. Uh, so keep an eye out for my full review of that game sometime in the next week or two. Uh, but for now, I think this might be one you should wait for a sale on. I don't think there's enough to warrant paying full price for it at the moment. All right, peeps, let's jump into the news. Let's kick off with the free PlayStation Network games for July, because this is quite a good offering. This month's free titles are headlined by Plague Tale Innocence. This is the new version of the game available for PlayStation 5 via your subscription on 6th of July. This adds 4K visuals and 60 frames per second and faster loading to the game. Plague Tale Innocence is a fantastic indie title that you really should play if you have a PlayStation 5. And of course, we just recently saw the sequel announced, which will be coming day one to Game Pass on Xbox. So it's interesting that they fired this one up on the PlayStation 5. You'll also get Call of Duty Black Ops 4, which I honestly don't think I've actually played. I think I've kind of skipped out on the Call of Duty games for the last few years, but it's hard to go wrong with a Call of Duty game. If nothing else, you'll have fun on the multiplayer, I'm sure. And the final game is WWE 2K Battlegrounds. I don't know a lot about this one. Uh, it's a cartoony wrestling game, which excites me because I'm a massive fan of WWE All-Stars. That was uh, the arcade-style racing uh, wrestling game from a couple years back that featured, you know, ridiculous over-the-top moves, uh, these really characterized wrestlers. It was awesome. I hope 2K Battlegrounds is a bit like that, but I don't really know. Still, a pretty solid lineup. If you have PlayStation, go ahead, get them downloaded. Even if you aren't that interested in playing them, you can add them to your library just in case down the line you feel like giving them a go. On to the news proper, and that news is PlayStation have purchased more developers. So, this week, Sony has expanded its roster of developers by two, bringing their total count to 18 studios. The first purchase? Well, it's a company we mentioned earlier. It's Housemark, the developer behind the recent PlayStation 5 exclusive, Returnal. 
This purchase feels a bit like a mere formality in some ways because Housemark have developed seven Sony exclusives. In fact, in the six games they've launched since 2013, only one has appeared on anything but a Sony machine. Returnal was, of course, the first big-budget AAA title that Housemark have developed, having previously said, as I mentioned, that arcade games are dead. Returnal, then, was a massive, massive return to form for them. Returnal, return to form, Jesus Christ. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. In some ways, Sony buying them just feels like the completion of a long story here. And it's great to see Housemark joining the family. I've said before that I typically do prefer studios remaining independent where they can. That's just me personally. I don't like it when companies conglomerate and come together and absorb everything else. I love it when a company can stay private, when they can do what they want to do. But, you know, I'm a realist. I understand this is how the world works. And I'm sure for Housemark, this is absolutely fantastic news. With the security that Sony will provide, I have no doubt they are going to continue making AAA titles now that they've proven they can do it with Returnal. And I can't wait to see what they come out with next, whether it's a sequel to Returnal or something entirely new. Ultimately, I think this is a smart move from Sony. Meanwhile, the other studio Sony has snapped up is called Nixus, if I'm pronouncing that right. Nixus typically handles PC ports, and thus it seems likely Sony will be using them to help bolster its efforts to bring PlayStation exclusives to PC. Nixus' website lists five titles they've worked on, which includes Marvel's Avengers, the Modern Tomb Raider trilogy, and Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Oddly, you might notice that these are all Square Enix titles, making Sony scooping them up perhaps a little surprising. But it seems Sony are intent on expanding their PC plans. Obviously, we've had at this point Days Gone, Death Stranding, and Horizon Zero Dawn all arriving on PC lately. Nixes typically do some really good PC ports, so I think this is a smart acquisition from Sony. And I'm intrigued to see what their first project's gonna be. But Sony might not be done expanding that roster of developers. They might be bringing up to 19. So, just before announcing the Housemark acquisition, Sony Japan seemed to accidentally tweet out an image welcoming Bluepoint to the Sony family. The image is almost exactly the same as the images used to welcome Housemark and Nixus to the Sony family, with only the order of the background games changed. Bluepoint most recently created the Demon's Souls remake for PlayStation 5. And since 2015's Uncharted The Nathan Drake Collection, the studio has only created games for Sony. In fact, Bluepoint have created 11 titles over the years, and only two of those have been released on anything other than a PlayStation. Being bought by Sony at this point then, kind of feels like a, a couple that's been together for over a decade and one day you think, huh. Maybe we should just get married, right? They've been working together as long by this point that Sony and Bluepoint getting together and making things official just makes sense, really. Bluepoint have also been heavily rumoured to be involved in a Metal Gear Solid remake. If Sony truly have acquired them, that could make any possible Metal Gear remake they are working on a PlayStation exclusive. However, there's a little bit of interesting news here. Bluepoint have changed their Twitter bio to include the phrase quote, fully independent, end quote. They also changed, seem to have changed their LinkedIn profile to include the same phrase, saying, quote, Bluepoint Games, an independent studio renowned for the remakes of Demon's Souls and Shadow of the Colossus, end quote. So, was this simply a case of Sony getting a tad excited and accidentally leaking their own acquisition? 
It would certainly seem so. Despite Bluepoint changing their Twitter bio and LinkedIn to say fully independent, it also seems odd that Sony Japan would happen to have an image made up ready to go welcoming Bluepoint to the Sony family. In my mind then, I think this is pretty likely that Bluepoint have been bought over by Sony and that they will be working exclusively on PlayStation games in the future. If that's the case, and Sony have indeed acquired a grand total of three more studios to add to their already pretty extensive and impressive collection, then all I can say is Sony are looking like an even bigger powerhouse than normal. Microsoft still, of course, have far more studios and intend on bringing out apparently exclusive games every quarter, but Sony have long been known now for creating amazing first-party games, high-quality first-party games, and acquisitions like this are only going to increase that reputation. Now, sticking with the Sony news, Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut has officially been announced. The Amazing Ghost of Tsushima is getting a new PS4 and PS5 release titled Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut. It'll arrive on August 20th. And the big news here is that it includes a brand new expansion pack that sees Jin Sakai traveling to the neighboring isle of Aiki. In a blog post, Sucker Punch says, quote, We'll have more to share about the story of Aiki soon, but today we can confirm that beyond a whole new story and new characters, this new island also features tons of new content, including brand new environments to explore, new armor for Jin as well as his horse, new minigames, new techniques, new enemy types, and much more. There are even new animals to pet. End quote. Uh, by the way, that was a lot of the use of the word new in a single sentence. I'm actually kind of impressed. Uh, let, hang on, I'm just out of curiosity. I've got to count this. How many times did they use new in that whole thing? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine times in that quite short two sentences. <laughs> that's, that's actually quite impressive. Anyway, uh, let's get back to this. So, PlayStation 5 owners will get to use some of that fancy tech. For starters, there's going to be proper Japanese lip-syncing, which Sucker Punch says is doable because the PlayStation 5 can render cinematics in real time. I have no idea of the technicalities of that, but it's quite cool that if you swap over to the Japanese dub now, you'll get proper lip-syncing, which the original game was missing. You're also going to get support for haptic feedback and adaptive triggers. And that should be awesome, I reckon, for those one-on-one jewels. You know, if you get a clash of a sword, it should be really cool to feel that hopefully through the controller. They've also stated that saves from the PlayStation 4 edition of the game can transfer over, so that's awesome. Now we get to the slightly tricky part, which is upgrading. Follow us if you can. If you already own Ghost of Tsushima on PlayStation 4, you can pre-order an upgrade to the Director's Cut for $20. And if you buy the Director's Cut on PlayStation 4, you can upgrade to the PlayStation 5 of the Director's Cut for $10. Next up, if you own a PlayStation 4 version of Ghost, you can upgrade to the PlayStation 5 Director's Cut for $30. It's a a slightly convoluted way of doing things. The main thing to take away here, of course, is this is not a free update. There are some people understandably unhappy with having to pay for this upgrade. However, I am somewhat accepting of it. Uh, Even upgrades take time and work for the developers. That's time work that, you know, that's wages that need to be paid, development costs that need to be funded. It's not 
a cheap and easy thing to do, depending, of course, on how extensive the upgrade is. Plus, of course, this is bringing an expansion with it, too. Keep in mind, the original game was updated to support 60 frames per second on the PlayStation 5 for free. Now, there's no mention of the expansion being separate from the Director's Cut package. It looks like if you want the expansion, you essentially have to upgrade to the Director's Cut, which makes the pricing seem a bit more sense. For example, on PlayStation 4, it's $20 to go to the Director's Cut, so that's essentially $20 for this new expansion, plus some other updates they're adding into the game. The only concern here is there's no mention of whether the upgrade system applies to the physical version of the game too, or is this purely for people who own the game digitally? I own it physically, uh, so I'm left a tad unsure here as to whether I can pay these prices well and upgraded mine. I would imagine you could, or at least I would like to think you could, by putting in the disc so they can register that, ah, yes, you do own the game. Here is your upgraded version. But then if the upgraded version is going to be digital only, I could then turn around and just sell the physical copy, which would probably recoup quite a lot of the costs. So a little bit confusing here. These upgrade systems, I'm not a fan of how they get announced, not because I disagree with their being pricing, but just because they make things unnecessarily confusing at times especially when you already have an update for the game for PlayStation 5, and then you're now going to have this seemingly native version that takes full advantage of the PlayStation 5. Yeah, it, it gets very convoluted for just for any casual fan who just wants to play the games. I'm sure they look at this and they're just reading this like, okay, I can upgrade the PS4 version to another PS4 version, or I can go to the PS5 version, and what the fuck does all this mean? Yeah. <sighs> All right, moving on, moving on. More Silent Hill rumors. Uh, don't worry, this one isn't a Blue Box theory. Although, obviously, Silent Hill has been in the news lately due to the Blue Box and Kojima theories. But now it's back in the news, this time under slightly more realistic circumstances, shall we say. Konami, the people who own Silent Hill, have announced a deal with Bloober Team, who are known for their work on horror games. Their most recent release was The Medium on Xbox, a very mediocre game that I reviewed. They've also created the Blair Witch game and the much better Layers of Fear. Given Bloober's experience with horror titles, many people are speculating that Konami might be bringing back Silent Hill with Bloober as the developers. Now, a Silent Hill game has been rumoured multiple times over the last few years from various people, various studios, and I would be shocked if it doesn't return, and Bloober would certainly seem to fit the bill. Although personally, I don't like Bloober that much. Their games are decidedly okay, but they've really not made anything spectacular. I'm not sure if they're the kind of studio you would want bringing back something as big as Silent Hill. But if it is indeed true that they are going to be working on Silent Hill, more power to them. It's an amazing opportunity. If they aren't working on Silent Hill, then who knows? They might be working on something brand new. And will therefore presumably be a multi-platform release since it's for Konami. And we're going to wrap this week up with another game potentially being revived, and that is Dead Space. So, Venture Beats Jeff Grubb says that EA is, quote, rebooting the franchise with a full-fledged remake, end quote, and that it will be announced at the upcoming EA Play event. Now, Jeff Grubb is well known for having insider information and is usually very reliable, so I think there's a lot of truth behind this rumour. Other websites are corroborating this too, with EA Motive being mentioned as the possible developer. Motive's most recent work was the very enjoyable Star Wars Squadrons. Prior to that, they helped out on Star Wars Battlefront 2, 
but otherwise have little to their name because they are a relatively new studio. Dead Space began in 2008 and is widely considered one of the best survival horror games ever. Three games in total were made with Dead Space 3 coming out in 2013. The franchise has been dormant since then though. Adding some fuel to the fire is the fact that the official Dead Space YouTube channel just updated its profile picture, despite being dead for the past eight years. So I'd say it's very likely a Dead Space announcement is indeed coming up. Now, they're saying a rebooting the franchise with a full-fledged remake. Two slightly opposing words there in terms of rebooting and remake. Those to me mean slightly different things. Uh, I do. I am curious as to whether they would do remake of the full trilogy i think that would be quite smart if they did but the first game would probably be enough especially if they want to do different things with it however bear in mind that dead space 3 wasn't so well received so hopefully ea have learned and stick with the original dead space style i would be very thrilled to see this game making a comeback i've been honestly i'm surprised it stayed as dead as long as it has I thought this would be a fantastic franchise to be resurrected, dragged out of the grave, to so to speak. Plus, there's just not really a lot of horror games out there. There's some, but not heaps, and a lot of them are smaller scale as well, from indie developers and the like. So it'd be pretty cool to have a nice big AAA horror game back out on the market. If a new Silent Hill game is turning up as well, then we'll have two big horror games returning. That'd be pretty cool. All right, we've just gone over the 40-minute mark, so I think I'm going to wrap this podcast up for this week. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I hope that I am at least improving a little bit. So take care. Look after everyone. Of course, play lots and lots of games. Let me know what you've been up to, and I will see you on the next episode of the Wolf Gaming Podcast. (laughs) 